Okay, so this is Stranger Still, post-season one. We're all done with season one, Zach. How did it go by so quickly? I know. It only took, you know, several months of rewatching and uh, and just sitting with uh, with this great show. Yeah, it's all right. You know, I mean, like we said before, great things come with time. And, and uh, I've appreciated every moment I've spent with season one. I think uh, a good long look was what was needed anyway. I think you're right. And speaking of time, I think a lot of people uh, who are listening to this probably have a lot of it on their time on their hands right now because most of the world is under lockdown. Yeah, if you're noticing a, an extreme dip in audio quality, it's because I'm I'm leaning currently into my built-in microphone on my MacBook and uh we're just hoping that this sounds agreeable enough to listen all the way through. Yes, because before we were very old-fashioned. We sat at a table together with a microphone between us and had our uh, our conversations and recorded that way. But now we are being safe and responsible adults, being socially distant, but keeping in touch uh, via the internet and all of the wonderful tools that we have to do that. Yes. It's not as fun, but uh, it gets the job done. So, uh, what we wanted to do with you today is uh, introduce you to a little uh, interlude between our season one and season two of Strangers Still. What we want to do with the, uh, in this time is kind of go deep on some of the characters. So we've come up with the idea of doing a few character portrait episodes. You can think of them a bit like uh, an entry in a yearbook. So we're going we're gonna to go deep on a particular character. We're not going to do everybody, but we'll certainly hit uh, all of the big big main characters in Stranger, in Stranger Things. And this, uh, this first one is going to look at Joyce Byers, the mother of old busy moms. But we're going to have a little bit of help from a highly qualified friend to get us started. And you've told me about this friend a little bit, but I'd like to know more in terms of uh, how, how this interview is going to play out. What is her what is her area of expertise in terms of Joyce? Exactly. So um, my friend is KB Hoyle. She is an Internet friend and uh, a very dear Internet friend as uh, as Internet friends go. She is an award-winning author of young adult fantasy and dystopian fiction. She's also a columnist at ChristandPopCulture.com, where she writes about storytelling, uh, among many other things. And really, this woman is a machine. The way she writes, uh, she's just always writing something. Um, I, you know, one day hope that I could be a fraction as productive as, uh, as KB, and we're just really glad to uh, have had her come on the show to talk about Joyce, um, particularly because she uh, she wrote a, a great feature article uh, about Joyce Byers. And uh, so we're going to kind of dig into that a little more deeply with her. Uh, also, another thing about KB, uh, like I said, she's an award-winning author, and I'm currently reading her fantasy series, The Gateway Chronicles. And uh, in these times of quarantine, I can tell you it's definitely worth ordering and reading with your kids. Or if you're like me, uh, enjoy it all by yourself because you're an adult man who just loves a good story, <laughs> and uh, and these are good ones, Zach. They're they're really good stories. Oh, we all need an escape, you know, and especially in times like this, it's good to find another world that's a, a little more open and human interactive than the one we're currently living in. Yeah, and uh, in terms of speaking of escape, uh, her fantasy series is definitely um, sort of like a uh, a play on sort of classic portal stories where uh, people are transported to another world and uh, like all good stories that transport you you may be somewhere that's fantastic and uh, and you know doesn't exist but we can certainly learn a lot about living in the real world uh, in these 
fantasy worlds. And, uh, and Karen will tell us a bit more about that in the interview as well. Well, I'm looking forward to entering into the world of Joyce Byers because uh, it seems like her mind and, and personage is a world in and of itself. So really looking forward to this. It's going to be a good one. So we'll uh, just we'll transfer over to the interview and uh, we'll let KB take us uh, on a ride with Joyce. And uh, it's going to get a little strange, of course, but also a little wonderful. Stay safe, stay safe, everyone, and wash your hands. That's right. And please enjoy this episode of Stranger Still. You wrote uh, an article about Joyce. I did. And uh, it's a fabulous article. I really, really enjoyed it. And, um, uh, oh, the title now is escaping me. Is I'm it? like, oh, I need to pull this up. It's been a long time since. <laughs> I think it's uh, Motherhood in a Stranger Things World. Yes, something like that. Yeah. And so, what was it about Joyce? Uh, like, what drew you to her um, that made you want to write that? What I saw in Joyce Byers, I would say primarily was a certain ferocity um, toward in her love for her son in that she believed in him. She believed, well, first of all, she believed him. She believed in him. She fought for him when nobody else did. She believed the truth when nobody else believed the truth. And she knew it to be the truth. And, you know, we're, we're living in this age of, of the strange age of truth and lies right now where people say, oh, you know, that's, that's fake or that's false. And you might think to yourself, no, I, this is true. And somebody, and, and, and oftentimes we're, we're facing people who are our friends and our family who are looking us in the, in the eyes and saying, what you, you believe to be true is actually false. And we're looking at people who love us and who we love. And we're thinking to ourselves, are we, are we, how, how does this person who I love believe that what is true is actually false. And we're finding that true courage means sticking up for and uh, sticking up against people we who should be on our same team, basically, and standing for the truth against people who, you know, we always kind of anticipate, well, maybe we'll have to, you know, fight for the truth against an enemy someday. And that's what courage is. But actually, courage is is is, you know, waving the banner of truth and fighting for the truth against people who, who are people we love. Um, and what does that look like? And it's like Joyce Byers, um, hopefully that wasn't just a whole muddle of thoughts, but like Joyce, Joyce Byers believed the truth that her son was still alive and she was right. And she knew she was right. And for a long time in the show, she is the only person who believes that. And she refuses to back down. She refuses to be bullied into submission. 
And it is the most important truth. And, and what I love about Stranger Things is like they take this idea that there's a monster and a literal like hellish, you know, upside down world that has taken her son away from her and consume and, and is trying to consume him, which is a very kind of like even sort of biblical picture. And if nobody fights for him, if nobody keeps searching for him, he will die, but he is still alive. They just need to go and find him. And everyone's just offering her explanations, right? Yes. They're dismissing all of her, um, you know, she has these experiences with the phone. It's kind of things start slowly, but everyone is just focused on the statistics. Yes. Everyone's, well, and even just the, the, it seems absurd, you know, this notion that her son could be you know, living in this like alternate reality. The, the fantasy of the story serves this this underlying message, basically. But it's not like didactic. It just it just exists. And she it 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 it, it serves the message so well. Like and she's the only one who believes it uh, for so long and she refuses to back down even when faced with what looks like the dead body of her child, which would be the time that, you know, most people would say, okay, now's the time to, to give this up. You know, that's your, that's your child. And, um, she still says that it's not my child and he's still alive and she's going to keep, she's going to keep fighting. Now it's important to point out, you know, for people who might be, I shouldn't have to say this, but maybe I should, that this is a fantasy story. Right. And so like, if this was real life, and, you know, somebody presents you with the child, the body of your dead child um, and says your child is dead. That would be the point at which, of course, it's over. Right. But in a fantasy story, it's fantasy. And she knows that, you know, something else is going on. Um, to be fair to Joyce, in real life, they'd probably let her touch the body. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And I, I really, I, again, I only say that because there was that, what, that church in California, Bethel, who was trying to raise the little girl from the dead earlier this year, and it was just tragic and horrible. Um, yeah. So, you know, fantasy, reality, folks, there is a line that needs to not be crossed. But, um, you know, my favorite, my favorite, and I'm, I'm waxing on because I just love this and I love her, her strength and her ferocity <laughs> standing for the truth so much. But my favorite scene in the whole show Okay, second favorite scene in the whole show <laughs> is um, when her belief in the fact that that Will is alive is is paid off when she um, it's the one where he's he's she she tears down part of the wall and she can see him through the wall and you know it's like all red and oh, yes. he's telling her that the that you know, the Demogorgon is coming to get him and she grabs the ax and goes, you know, <laughs> rather than freaking out and running away, she grabs an ax and goes to, you know, punch a hole, you know, tear the wall down to get to him. I just love that. Like she's fearless and she's did everything in her physical ability to rescue her son 
And I can imagine doing that. I mean, as a mother, and it's just, and it's a challenge though, too. Like, what do we do to try and save? I mean, if we're looking at it as kind of a spiritual metaphor, to try and save, to go after the souls of our children, you know, do we pick up axes like for them, you know, on their sake? Like, what are we doing to try and save people in this world? Um, she goes after him. And of course, tragically, can't get to him that way. I love all that. I love the picture of of her lighting lights in the dark, stringing lights so that he can he can light the lights to show her, her how to get to him, even though it's creepy. Um, <laughs> I love, um, I love all of it. Uh, just all all the imagery that they they put into it. Um, see, 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 none of the fantasy aspects in this story are pointless. Like. It's not like they're like, ooh, let's just have him be able to turn lights on just because that would look really cool. Like, it's all very intentional. He can light lights from the upside down where he is, and he does it to communicate to her, you know, messages that he's still there, that he's still alive. And then light is also a metaphor for truth and lighting light in the dark. And all this sort of stuff is all very intentional, so... Yeah, and I, I think in the article you also you talk about those uh, the final scene and the finale where they literally go into the upside down, they go down into the dark and bring him out yes. again into the light, and uh, and yeah, it's just none of that stuff is is there for for no reason, yes. and uh, and even I love like you're talking about her her ferocity and just the 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 lengths that she's willing to go for. Her, her son and her her love in in general and um it's just a great example of of selflessness because of the way she's being treated and ostracized that you know she could she could retreat into grief and be left alone but she's arguing there on the street with her other son about not having a funeral because he's not dead right and uh and she, yeah she slowly brings you know all these people over to the truth of the fact that he's alive through not giving up through this tenacity that she has. And she's just so magnetic. Even I remember I used to, I think I've mentioned before in a previous episode that her, she gives me anxiety because she just radiates. I mean, when she's her character, of course is very anxious and worried and, uh, and it just sort of flows off of her. And uh, I always find myself sort of tensing up whenever there's, a scene with Joyce just doing her, her thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I love though that, you know, women in the media are like in shows or so often um, when I feel this very, <laughs> I feel this as a woman in the South, but not a Southerner. Um, you know, I've lived down here for 13 years now. Um, Southern women have a very particular look about them and I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that but there's there is an etiquette to just you know how you're supposed to look and behave especially when you're out in public and I don't fit that like I don't put makeup on unless I absolutely have to I spend most of every day in my pajamas like <laughs> you know I will I will I will just kind of you know I toss on a hooded sweatshirt to go to the grocery store um and, you know, hit a sweatshirt, messy bun, I'm good to go. And I love how messy Joyce is. 
I love how relatable she is for someone like me. My life is now obviously I'm I'm not a single mother, you know, I'm happily married, but I have four sons and like I look at her and I love that like they allowed her to be um messy and not calm and you know I'm not I'm not saying that's a good thing to smoke like a chimney but like you know <laughs> like all of her anxieties and whatnot like she didn't have to get her uh, stuff together before she rescued her son she didn't have to you know calm down before she was able to perceive the truth she was allowed to be emotional she she you know she was very like that to me is a true feminine portrayal like rather than this like hyper sexualized version of women we often see or this version where like the man comes in and then he just takes control away from the hysterical female you know she is kind of hysterical throughout the whole show but even once um you know, Hopper gets on board and realizes the truth of it. When he gets on board, he's like, okay, so tell me what we should be doing. You know, like, you know, he recognizes that she's the one who has been seeing um, the truth of the matter all along. Now, he still plays, you know, the big, strong, manly man because that's his character and we all love him for it. Um, And he willingly puts himself in harm's way. A number of times and that is you know especially for the sake of of her and the children and whatnot and that is a good thing but like he doesn't just you know come in and just you know bulldoze everybody and and push her out of the way and just take control and i think it's clear that he needs he needs her he needs her yeah he needs her. and there's a great uh there's a great little sequence in the last episode where they've i think they've just found out where will is or they have an idea they're going to go to the the lab and he's getting in the truck and he tells joyce to stay with everyone at the school yeah she's like what no you stay i'll go like it's her you're son. not telling me not to come yeah and again I, that's very realistic and i appreciate that he tries to you know he tries to do the man thing um which is not like you know a bad thing but he also allows her to continue to do her thing once she makes it clear that she's not going to stay behind. Yeah, she just she won't be denied. Right, she will not. She will not be denied, and um, she she manages to to go down into this kind of metaphorical land of death to bring her son back to life, just as she is. And she doesn't have to fix anything about her life um, or her state of mind or state of being in order to succeed as a hero in the story. And that is important. So, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, I I love that. Even, And I I think it reminds me of um, another thing that I've talked about with uh, my co-host, Zach, is just the the earnestness of the way these characters were written and you can just believe they're just a hundred percent committed to everything that they do. 
whether it's Mike and, uh, you know, going out to look for Will Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's Hopper once he's sort of seen that there's something more going on here. There's some, there's some injustice that, uh, that maybe he can, he can put right and, and Joyce just through the whole thing. Like she is never not advocating for will and looking for will and mm-hmm. and uh you know she she just sustains that through through the whole season and uh and yeah you just want to you want to want to feel about that way about something yes it's great i love it yeah me too um and actually you i think you pretty much answered one of my questions without uh, me asking it but i was going to ask you where you think joyce fulfills tropes and where she subverts them <laughs> and uh and i think she you know i think she mostly subverts tropes um she certainly displays a lot of maybe some tropes about being a single mom being sort of overwhelmed and harried and messy and all that but she's certainly not helpless and i think she moves through that pretty quickly to where we see her as this this sort of powerful pursuer of truth. Yes, powerful pursuer of truth, powerful pursuer and protector of her child, especially in light of the abject abandonment and failure of Will's father and his exploitation of them as a family. I also love, too, how, you know, the first time it's clear that there's some monster, you know, in this in this house trying to get through the house. Remember how she flees out to the car and she's going to drive away because she's terrified. Because I think that's important, too, to note. It's not like um, she's just some superhuman who, you know, is totally unafraid because that sort of character is unrealistic as well and unrelatable. I wrote a piece for Christ in Pop Culture. Uh, gosh almost two years ago now when the Laura Croft remake came out talking about how the original Laura Croft Tomb Raider movies with Angelina Jolie, how that sort of like tough woman who's super sexy and stuff is just totally unrelatable to the average woman. Um, You know, like we have feelings, we have fears, we cry, you know, like we, we have emotions and um, Joyce and, and, and they did a much better job of that in the remakes of Laura Croft Tomb Raider. And also in, in stranger things too, it's like even through her tenacity to stick with it and to rescue her son, she's also abjectly terrified of what is happening in her house, what has taken her child. And despite her fear she goes back again and again and persists in trying to rescue him. I, I love that when she flees. That's it's the first time um, she sees the lights flickering and something tries to, or I think it's, I guess it's Will, like reaching to her through the wall. And she's, and all the, the music comes on and she flees out to her car and tries to start it. And then she stops and she realizes that she can't leave because if she leaves, you know, she has, she has no chance of, of getting her son back. She has to stay. And so then she gets out of the car and she kind of steals herself. It's one of my favorite scenes with where, I mean, Winona Ryder really just shines in that role. She's such a tiny little person, you know, (laughs) but she just kind of 
you know, sets her shoulders and walks right back into that house. And um, it's so funny because my husband is more afraid of, he's even more afraid of horror than I am. Just can't with it. And every time we watch season one, because we, we, we've we rewatched it a substantial number of times. Same here. <laughs> um, he's like, he always goes, nope. <laughs> like, just can't. It just can't. I would be gone. <laughs> yeah, we'd be out of that house. Yeah. But I think it, it's illustrated beautifully when, like, she's in the car there and she turns back and the stereo comes on again, right? And it's the song that's associated with Will. And and it's that moment that she, she steals herself. She's absolutely afraid, like you said, but um, is more in love with her son than she is afraid. Yes. Oh, and isn't it? Oh, it's Aunt Ain and... Uh what's the bible verse true love um casts out fear and um isn't the song isn't the song um that's playing should i stay or should i go now yes yep (laughs) see it's just beautiful no randomness in this story it's a beautifully told story everything just works together and you know we won't we won't go into it but i do think you know i love the series as a whole but season one is uh is as near perfect in my book as uh as something can get. And I think it's because of just how tightly everything works together. Everything fits together. Everything informs another thing and makes it, uh, you know, fills it out, makes it better. And it, uh, it just works so well. Absolutely. It, season one is my favorite season of television. I think of any season of television I've ever seen of anything. It's a close thing with Daredevil season three, I will admit. But I think it is just my favorite. It's it's just, it's, it's it, yeah, it speaks to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, it, yeah, it speaks, to, it speaks to a lot of people, which is part of the reason why we really wanted to, with this podcast, the whole idea was trying to dig a little deeper right? It's this big hit. Um, there's lots of memes and, you know, everyone's sort of become uh, a thing now, you know, people share reaction gifts with characters from stranger things, but what was going on in season one that let all that take hold and then grow into this big sort of cultural thing now. But, um, you know, it really is, there's something going on in season one, something strange. (laughs) but uh, strange and wonderful um, that gets people coming back and and just falling in love in that way. Yeah. It's form and function. It works form and function, the whole thing. And they just don't quite, they don't quite capture that in season two or season three, unfortunately, with everything being as tight knit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I was, sort of okay with it having to change especially season three you know the cast is getting older and i couldn't expect it to be as it had been um i do really like season two but uh but you know if anyone asked which if i could only have one it'd be season one forever oh forever forever and ever absolutely (laughs) i mean it's like it's like a perfect thing like I looking back on it when when they even when they announced that they were going to go on and make a second season too. I mean it's like you expect it. And they set it up at the end there. But I was also kind of like do we really need to? Like it was such a perfect 
perfect thing. It was <laughs> like it's true. it needed to just be untainted. And I had this sensation of like, there's no possible way they can ever achieve, you know, in later seasons what they've done with this first season. It's it, it, it's impossible. And of course, you know, it ended up being the case, but. Um, although I, do, I really do appreciate some of what they did in season two, and I have some small moments of appreciation from season three, but um, yeah, yeah, it was. Hmm. But I expected to be disappointed, so you know. Yeah, I mean, after after something like season one, um, yeah, I mean, it, it should have ended. It had enough closure. It had that little opening where it's just perfect, just to let you know that there's still. You know, there's still strangeness out there. Not everything has gone back to normal. And it's structured like a movie. Like it was it was a movie. It didn't need to be a series. Mm-hmm. Um, one last question, I think. And of course you can, you know, I think you've you started touching on on all these things. Um, but sort of our tagline um for the show is um Stranger Things, Metaphysics, and the wonderful weirdness of being alive. And uh, and as a as a mother yourself and a, um, a big fan of Joyce, what do you think Joyce can teach listeners about the wonderful weirdness of being alive? What can Joyce teach listeners about the wonderful weirdness of being alive? I think that Joyce can teach listeners a lot about hope and courage. I don't know if that's necessarily what you're getting at here. Um, I don't want to rehash all of what I've already gone through. No, I just wanted to like encapsulate it. I think, uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's we're just trying to kind of tease out the the realities underneath the you know the characters, the the fun, the the excitement of the shows. But yeah, hope and. Uh, and courage hope and courage yeah i mean i know that i've talked a lot about her tenacity for the truth um but i think underlying all of it is that you know she had this she had hope um you know uh for this belief in what she she knew to be true and then she had the courage to stick with it even though she stood alone i mean she stood alone and that's what gave her uh, what made her so courageous and in such a strange and, you know, we, we feel like we're living in a very strange world right now. And um, I mean, to speak to, I don't know how many female listeners you have, um, you know, it's I often feel like I am a, is it? Okay. <laughs> I was say, I, again, I'm going to kind of lean on the fact that I'm in the South here. I often feel very strange um as a southern woman you know as i guess i have to be a southern woman now because um i've been here for so long in the south yeah living in the south but um it's very difficult for me to find anybody down here um who's a woman who really wants to um talk about the sorts of things that i like or um you know it's (laughs) Kind of like you're bringing up fantasy literature or science fiction or, hey, did you watch Stranger Things? It's amazing. And it's like, 
people's eyes just kind of glaze over. <laughs> um, you know, at least women. Um, I just wholesale gave up on doing, you know, women's events and things like that because I find them so just uh, disheartening. Um, and 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 feeling so outside of the demographic of my own def- my own demographic, I guess I should say. But you know, those are small things amongst the big things of this strange world that we're living in right now, especially in this era where, again, um, many of us feel like we are being isolated from friends and family who believe different things than we do. And these divides are falling along the lines of things that are not small at all, um, that are big truths in the world. I think that a show like Stranger Things and a character like Joyce Byers teaches us that even if we are small and relatively, you know, quote unquote, insignificant people, you know, like Joyce Byers was just in the care in the show. She's just a, you know, single mom, you know, working a job at, you know, convenience store, basically. That we can make a big difference in this world by having hope and standing for what's true and, and being courageous, uh, even in the face of, of people who are close to us telling us we're wrong and telling us that we don't know what's true. Um, so if you know, it's true, stand for what's true. And I think that's something that she can encourage us in. So beautifully said, thank you, Karen. That's really great. Thanks. Um, one thing, though, before uh, I let you go, I would love it if you could tell everyone where to find you, where to follow you uh, on on the internet, and uh, where to find your books. I'm uh, I'm currently reading. I'm still reading the second in the the Gateway Chronicles. Um, I have been a little slow uh, with it, but I am really enjoying it. Uh, Darcy has just set off for the, for the Oracle, and um, it's getting interesting. Oh, good. I say you've been reading that one for a while. <laughs> I, I, I stopped and then I went back. <laughs> it's not that long. <laughs> I say, real encouraging, Matt. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. Um, okay. The um, I would absolutely love to tell people where they can find me on the internet. I uh, am all the places on the internet. Uh, let's see. My website is just my name.com. So it's KB Hoyle, H O Y L E.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm just at KB Hoyle understrike author. And I'm on Instagram, KB Hoyle dot author, um, and all the various places. Um, I'm very Googleable. So <laughs> <laughs> you Google me, I'm like the first, I don't know, couple hundred results. So I'll also, I'll put some links in the, in the show notes as well. That would be great. Um, yeah. And I've got like 10 books up on Amazon. So again, pretty easy to find. Lots of choice then for people who would like to buy one of those. Yes, absolutely. Hey, if you're like us, you're probably under lockdown right now to help healthcare systems deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. It's serious stuff. So remember to stay home as much as you can and to stay kind. Imagine there's a monster out there and you can help your friends and neighbors by listening to podcasts in bed. If you know someone who might enjoy Stranger Still, 
Now's the perfect time to share a link and follow up with a call. The phone is fine. You don't even need a walkie-talkie, and you'll have a good conversation. Also, a special thanks to KB Hoyle, who was kind enough to join me during an international toilet paper shortage. What? No? Oh, I'm being told that there is in fact no reason to hoard toilet paper. So, it's going to be okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stranger Still. It was our first character portrait episode, so let us know what you think. You can find us online at mattcivico.com slash strangerstill, or at mattcivico on Twitter. That's M-A-T-T-C-I-V-I-C-O. Thanks for listening.